And if you like this podcast, rate, review it on your chosen provider. But if you didn't, don't worry about it. Yeah. Keep your mouth shut. Snitches get stitches. You didn't like this shit. Shut up. Hello, and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole, and along with me at his house is David. Hello, hello. The restraining order is still in place from season one. (laughs) This is the podcast where we celebrate HBO's prestige programming with subpar commentary. Each episode, we're looking into a show from HBO's past and telling you if it's worth your watch. What are we up to today, David? Nicole, today we are looking at The Outsider. It's spoopy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The Outsider is from 2020, and it is a mystery show concerning the murder of a young boy, where the evidence points to a clear suspect, but something ain't quite right. Spookiness is afoot. Did you watch The Outsider, Nicole? I watched it live through my fingers. (laughs) Yes. I don't do scary very well. You recently watched uh, The Wheel of Time, and you said that was really scary too, right? A lot of monsters in that. I found the read much scarier than the watch. Oh, okay. The book was scarier than the show in that case. Yes. I didn't read through my fingers, though, to be fair. Yeah, I was going to say that's hard. You could have done audiobook. You can read an audiobook through your fingers, I think. So those books are notoriously awful readers. Like nobody's reread them. So it's like the original oh. one from 1994. And I guess they didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Oh, this is the Wheel of Time, chapter one. <laughs> yeah, it's like a like a monotone professor reading to you from a textbook. Oh. On <laughs> cassette. Now turn to tape two. So speaking of books, I read the book for this show when we decided we were doing The Outsider. Mm-hmm. I read the book from Stephen King, which was published yeah, but this in... this is kind of a funny story. How is it a funny story? Well, because we were deciding what shows to watch and you're like, oh, that's a book. I think it's like 300 pages. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> and it wasn't 300 pages. No, it was like 550. It's a, it's a big one. And you still managed to knock it out. I did. I was kind of impressed with myself. I do a lot of my best reading on the porcelain throne. So I just ate poorly for about two weeks and was able to knock out the book. (laughs) So I've read Stephen King a lot before early in my sort of reading career. You know, I I did a lot of uh, Stephen King and Michael Crichton and Tom Clancy kind of did those classic ones uh, that were out around that time in that sort of early 90s. And so I'd read Stephen King. So I, I felt, yeah, let's get into another Stephen King. Why not? And I didn't plan to watch the whole series. I planned to just watch the pilot. So I was like, well, I'll read the book and then watch the pilot. And this way I have something to contribute other than my dashing good looks. And it was a really good pilot. So I did the whole damn thing. So I am fully binged on both the words and the screen. You were pretty into Stephen King. Didn't you even read his biography? I did. So Stephen King's biography, which is called On Writing, it's kind of a bio slash writing tutorial book. 
is fantastic. Highly recommend it, especially for any aspiring writers out there uh, like myself who have a lot of chapter ones and not so many chapter twos. Stephen King gives a lot of insight in that book. I think one of the most interesting things is that you can see the evolution in King's work over the years. If you haven't read Stephen King, uh, he's notorious for having some wild ideas. He does do horror very well, but he also kind of pushes the envelope a little bit in a lot of his work. And I think you see that earlier more, or at least it's become more sophisticated in his more recent novels. And a lot of that comes from the fact that he was super high and super on drugs and alcohol early in his youth. There are whole books, Nicole, that he does not remember writing. I know. I remember you telling me. I could not believe that. He would write and publish a book yeah. and be like, I don't even know what I wrote. And he regrets that. He regrets like, I would have enjoyed the experience. Like, I'd like to be able to tell you about that book and what I thought about it and my feelings. And he's he's got nothing. And then obviously the, the book he details about his accident. He was walking home one day and got hit by a, a car and uh, he was he was in a lot of pain. He had to have surgeries and he may not have survived at first. And so it was really scary. And some of the elements of, of misery uh, share some some elements with that, as well as some other of his works. But yeah, it's misery is a Stephen King book. It is. Yes, I have seen that film. Oh, there you go. So you have seen a Stephen King. We found one. What about the Green Mile? Have you seen the Green Mile? That's another one that people often don't know is him. I don't think so. No, I think I remember clips from it of the iconic character, the deep voice. I can't think of his name. Michael something. But yeah, that's another Stephen King. Uh, Stephen King actually released that one. When it came out, it was pretty novel for the time. Apologies. It came out in small, tiny paperback editions, like one chapter at a time. And you had to buy like all six of them. And it was kind of cool because they sold them at like grocery stores. It's mm. so, like when you're in the line at like your local Publix or Superfresh or Winn-Dixie, wherever you're from, it had like you've got like those shitty magazines that say like Queen Diana was really an alien <laughs> and like the soap opera magazines and then like the Nestle Crunches and then the Green Mile. Huh. And it was kind of neat that it was like this little book. And so every month he would release one and you kind of pick it up. Is that a horror? No, it's a it's got some mystery elements to it, hmm. but it, I wouldn't consider it a horror. It was this a bender writing? No, this is this is when he was clean. OK, yeah. Green Mile. Highly recommend Green Mile. It's, but if you're not a Stephen King fan, but you love Tommy Hanks, because who doesn't feel free to hit up Green Mile. Tom Hanks is phenomenal in it. I love Tom Hanks. I legitimately recommend Green Mile to you. It's a good, a good one. Another one that's a popular Stephen King one that people don't know is the Stephen King one is Shawshank Redemption. I did not know that. There you go. Yeah. Frankie Darabont directed it. Frank Darabont directs a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Who ran this show? Not Frank Darabont. Oh. This show was run by Richard Price. Okay. So Richard Price is a novelist. But he's more known for writing. So he's done The Wire. He's done The Outsider. He's done The Night Of. And he's done The Deuce. All of us have done The Deuce. <laughs> I did while reading The Outsider book. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Multiple. Uh, so all of those are HBO shows. So Richard Price developed this show. He obviously has a knack for developing HBO shows. Ones with the word the in the beginning. If it has the in front of it, there's a Richard good Price chance Richard Price. Yeah. <laughs> Before he started writing for The Wire and doing all of these other show, HBO shows, though, uh, Richard Price wrote The Color of Money, which was obviously a hugely influential film with Paul Newman, and uh, he was nominated for an Emmy for it. He writes most of the episodes for The Outsider TV show. There's a few other writers. Uh, one of those of note is Dennis Lehan. He's most known for writing Mystic River, Gone Baby Gone, and Shutter Island, so a lot of Boston mystery shows. 
And he was also a, a writer on The Wire. You know, in Shutter Island, Leonardo DiCaprio says my maiden last name. That's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It's a little cheesy. I expected it to be scarier than it implied it would be. The trailer showed a lot of the freakiness, but it wasn't scary. It was just a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed the book as well. Um, Our producer's pointing out that once you know the get, the thing, the twist, it doesn't hold up as well on repeat viewings. And now that he says that, I haven't seen it on a repeat viewing. So he might have something there. Wait a second. That's like kind of close to his other movie where his whole family dies and like he killed them or something. Leonardo DiCaprio often kills his whole family in movies. Yeah. But didn't like in the other movie. In Inception, his wife is dead, but she framed him. Never trust a French woman. (laughs) So uh, for the outsider, though, Lehan Price, the team did a great job. It got pretty good, uh, pretty good reviews, right? On Rotten Tomatoes, quote, though The Outsider's slow burn isn't always satisfying, it remains watchable thanks to its excellent performances, especially series standout Cynthia Erivo. It had a 91% rating. That's uh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty. Pretty, pretty good. Jason Bateman directed the first two episodes and everyone loved the shit out of them. Him? Him and the episodes. Okay. And he was also nominated for an Emmy for acting. For the show. For the show. Yeah. So this was 10 episodes, open and shut. It kind of covered the book. Uh, so it's considered a miniseries. Stephen King has said, though, that there was talk of season two and that they've actually written some of the scripts. I'm sort of following some of our characters off on another adventure. But HBO has not picked it up just yet for that. So the the series follows the book pretty well? Yeah, I would say so. I would consider this a faithful adaptation. So okay. there, are, there are always changes when you go from a book uh, to a TV show or a book to a miniseries. Mm-hmm. In this case, I think that none of them were glaring to me. There was a couple mm-hmm. of characters who kind of receded into the background that were more important in the book, a couple of characters in the book who were then more important in the show. And just some some odds and ends moved around. The biggest change they made was to our main detective. And uh, in the show, that character is played by Ben Middleson, who is fantastic. In the show, Ben Middleson is still grieving from his son's death from cancer. In the book, his son is away at camp for the whole story. And so he doesn't have as much motivation in the book to solve the murders as maybe... Besides it being his job. Besides it being his job, yeah. So (laughs) besides being a detective. Uh, (laughs) So I thought that that was a really smart change. It gave him more to do in the show, gave him some more gravitas and some more backstory. And then they also introduced another character, Cynthia Erivo. So she plays a character who for the first few episodes is a private investigator. And for reasons you understand when you watch the show, she doesn't get to interact with all the main characters for a few episodes. In the book, that works well because you can see her internal monologue. You can you're kind of in her head. Mm. But in the show, they brought another character into existence with her Mm. so that she has someone to talk to about her theories and her ideas and her research. So I thought that worked well because in the book. Yeah. It's hard to sort of transition that like her talking to herself to the show without it being cheesy. So they added another character. But yeah, I, I, I think that was really smart. But we've got an excellent cast, I think, that so when I read this book, I think some of the characters that maybe I didn't love as much once they got on screen, I loved more because of the actors. Who's our headliner on this bad boy? A lesser known actor called Jason Bateman. Oh, who doesn't have. One of the most successful podcasts airing right now called Smartless. Free plug. Feel free to send it back our way, Jason. (laughs) 
He started off his career in 1980. He's been acting for a long time. His career is older than we are. It's his television career. He's in the Hogan's. Anyway. So the Hogan family was his big thing. So the Hogan family, actually, it was really weird because they had, I remember this as a kid. It was a normal family, a father, mom, and a bunch of kids. And then they like killed off the mom. And so it was like Valerie's family or some shit. It was called first. And then they like killed her off and they just went with the last name. And they were like, oh, now it's the Hogan family. And I was like, what? You just can't do that to like these poor <laughs> kids watching 80s television. And did he take over Teen Wolf from Michael J. Fox? He was in, yeah, he was in Teen Wolf too. Michael J. Fox was busy going back to the future, I guess. I mean, that is a, a busy business. Yeah. And I think the weird thing is, is then he kind of fell away for a lot of years and then mm. he kind of stormed back with Arrested Development, which was fantastic. Yes. Did you watch Arrested Development when it moved to Netflix? I did, but I didn't love it. So I understand that the fourth and fifth seasons, I think, are better. But their first season there where they like really didn't have the cast available was really strange for me where it's like each person got their own episode. I just I couldn't follow as much because I loved their chemistry together. Yeah. What's your favorite Bateman performance? Oh, that's really hard. But Jason Bateman has a very jokey demeanor. He's in a lot of comedies. But when he kind of started going to more serious acting like the Ozarks, yeah, this show, I just was really impressed by that um, kind of switch and how well he did it. And he didn't just do it like, oh, I'm going to start playing serious roles now. He's like, I'm going to direct. I'm going to produce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in it, and I find that he does it very well. So I really think he's funny and he might kind of look like my husband. So I mean, that's a plus. So in this show, in The Outsider, Jason Blateman plays a popular Little League baseball coach. He's like the coolest guy in town. And he also produces and directs uh, the, the series. He directs the first two episodes, produces the show. And yeah, he starts off as our lovable Little League baseball coach, who we'll talk a little bit about, maybe not so lovable. And then we've got Ben Middleson. Mm. So he plays a detective who heads up a murder investigation of a young boy. I mentioned a few minutes ago that he's still struggling with the loss of his own son to cancer. So it's imperative on him to try and solve this crime because he's got a he's got it in him to solve the deaths of children. Do you think that this it was a substantial motivation change for this character to have a son that passed? Yeah, I think it worked really well. I think the trick with with Ben Mendelsohn, right, he usually plays a bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. He's a bad guy in The Dark Knight Rises. He was a bad guy in Rogue One. He was a bad guy mm -hmm. in Ready Player One. So uh, he was. I, I think his biggest claim to fame is probably Bloodline from Netflix, where he played a very troubled man. He's got this anger or rage to him. And I think if you just make him like a ho-hum detective who's trying to solve a murder because like that's his job, I think you lose a lot of it. So I liked I wouldn't have picked him for the character that I read in the book. But then on screen, when he's anguished, right, when he's when he's falling back into his alcoholism uh, in the show mm -hmm. by trying to solve this thing for a young man and, and he gets to see what it does to the families, the loss of a child did something to his family. Yeah. So I, I think it gives Ben more to play with. So I really liked that addition. Cool. Yeah. And then we have his wife's a big character, too. How is she a big character? What makes her a big character in the series? She kind of becomes and and she's played by Mayor Winningham who's been in a, a lot of stuff over the years. Um, I know her most from St. Elmo's Fire. 
she kind of acts as the grounding mechanism for him. And especially as as weird shit starts to happen, he's very much against accepting of the weird shit. And I think she's the one who pushes him to be more open. That's right. And and she obviously gets involved in the investigation a little bit as the show goes on. But without giving away too much, she becomes that voice of like, don't be so focused on evidence. Don't be so focused on facts. You know, what does your gut tell you? Yeah. And she's got a couple of really good scenes in this. She has a scene in particular where a child is having a vision, a nightmare, a dream. And she's trying to coax the details out. And it's just a really, really well done scene in particular. She's been in other um, Stephen King related things. She actually voiced the audio version of Lissy's story. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really cool. I think I got to imagine some people are like, if you if you've read Stephen King and your agent comes to you with like, oh, it's a Stephen King work, you got to jump at it. Yeah, I think that's like you read an entire Stephen King book for other people to read to listen to you get like a role in one of his yeah. shows. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier Cynthia Erivo. So Cynthia Erivo plays the eccentric private investigator who's brought onto the case. I mentioned for the first few episodes, she's kind of remote and then she joins the team. The interesting thing here about her is that she plays Holly Gibney. In the book, we learn that Holly Gibney is like, she used to be the assistant to a private investigator, like a researcher for him. And now she's become the private investigator since... He died or disappeared or something. The interesting thing that I found out when researching this is that I thought, mm, this Holly Gibney's a little different than she is in the show from the book. She's still eccentric. She's still a private investigator. She still does the same things. Mm -hmm. But there are additional things that were a little different. And when I looked into why, it's because that same character also appears in the Mr. Mercedes book series and film series. So Stephen King uses her as a minor character in this. But she's also a minor character in the other series where I mentioned her former partner is actually like the lead detective on that on that series. So the writers kind of changed her a little bit so that the two characters, even though they both still have the same name, Holly Gibney on Mr. Mercedes and Holly Gibney on The Outsider, she's a little bit unique to each one, even though she has the same name. I really enjoyed her her process and her delivery of Holly Gibney as a character. It just made it interesting. It made it feel like the detective character who was a little bit more traditional. Yeah. And yeah. What things can be. It just unlocked like a level of like believability for the other stuff. Yes. Yes. So that's a great point, Nicole. I think one of the interesting things is when she starts to make some suggestions that are a little weird, people kind of deal with it because they're like, oh, she's weird. So, of course, she'd make a weird suggestion, but let's see what facts and evidence she could give us to kind of like help us out still. So, like, they kind of tolerate her weirdness to get her results. And to your point, then they start to believe the weirdness, too. Mm -hmm. Like, she kind of lets them in. Yeah, I, I think she's she's really good at it. I really enjoy her character uh, in this. Now, Bill Camp plays the lawyer for character who shall not be named. Yes. At this point, <laughs> no, uh, no spoilers. I think you could give it away here, Nicole. You can give it. I'll allow it. Okay, so Bill Camp plays the lawyer for Jason Bateman's character after he's accused of the child's murder. Womp womp. Bill Camp, our detective from the night of that we yes. spoke about. D detective, lawyer, person of authority. This is this yeah. is definitely Bill's shtick. Yes, and he's fucking great at it. He's excellent. Yes, he is. And isn't he the one that like 
refers the detective to Holly? He or is. Am I- no, okay. you're right. Yeah, he's the one who says like, uh, so he has a private investigator working for him. And then they realize that they need to, you know, sort of get more help. And so that's how they bring Holly Gibney in. Yeah. And then a lot of cast in us. It's a sprawling cast. But the last major player for us is Patty Considine. He's a local strip club owner who's sort of pulled into the investigation at first as a witness. And then it, it sort of goes from there. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's been in Peaky Blinders. He was he's obviously in The Outsider. Peaky fucking blinders. I think that's how he says it as well. And I know him from he had a movie called Dead Man's Shoe, which, if I remember correctly, was my first exposure to him. And the, it was a British film oh. where his his younger brother was special needs and a bunch of kids like bully his younger brother. Mm-hmm. And he goes and like murders them all. And it was great. Jeez. Don't like fuck with special needs people or Patty Considine may murder you. We need to cover a show that has an actor. That was in the show Taboo, so I can talk about the show Taboo. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, So I will tell you this, too, Nicole, for Patty Considine, we will talk about him, I'm sure, in the future, because in HBO's House of the Dragon, which is the Game of Thrones (gasps) spinoff, he's going to play King Viserys Targaryen. He will be the king in the show. I, like, conveniently forget that that's happening because I can't stand waiting that if I think about it, I get so anxious that I just have to forget that they're doing it. Yeah, it's uh, so I'm excited to see him be the king. He's a great I, I think hopefully it'll give him more exposure. I think he's a great actor and he doesn't get enough due. And he was really good in this show, too. And he's he's got a very thick British accent and it is uh, not in this show. So <laughs> it, it didn't get hired for this. It didn't get, yeah, he got hired for his <laughs> accent. I uh, didn't make it in the pilot. Jason Bateman is the lovable softball coach. And after their game, he's arrested for the gruesome murder of a young boy. One pump. So we follow along as the police put together their case against him, which seems like it's pretty airtight, open and shut. Yeah, yeah. DNA evidence, fingerprints, all there, all put him at the murder. Even witnesses and security cameras see him. But then after his arrest, it's revealed he was out of town at the time of the murder, and he has witnesses and camera footage. So how was he at two places at once? Uh? <laughs> we try to understand this as a deformed figure begins appearing on the edges of those affected by his murder and arrest. Yeah, spoopy, spoopy. And then... Dude, the scene when he is in the dining room, it is in the dining room. Oof. The scene where it visits the little girl, fucking crazy scary. Like, I'm sitting in a dark room. I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. So this deformed figure, let's talk about this a little bit. It's something, obviously, we don't give away too much audience. But in the first episode, you do get to see this person. And Nicole, we say deformed. He's wearing like a hoodie and his face looks like alternately people described it as like burned or melting. They say there's something wrong with the eyes. He's fucking terrifying. Yes. It's definitely hard to look at. Yeah. It's Nicole is covering her eyes right now. It's. She's peeking. I thought I thought it was really effective his use throughout the show. Um, effective as in scary. Yes. You know it's it. You know I will admit, and I'm easily scared. It is subtle. It's not like Stranger Things, crazy monster coming yeah, through the wall. Yeah. It's just a normal sized or normal human shaped human sized hoodie hooded figure, dark. 
ominous. It's so subtle, but yet is the scariest to your bones yeah. feeling when you see it. I think that's why it works because it's it's Stephen King. And if you know Stephen King coming into this, you're like, oh, it's going to be a giant alien demon here to suck out everyone's brains. <laughs> and you're like, no, that's that looks like a creepy fucking dude. Like, Who's which going is scarier. To suck out your brains. Who's going to suck out your brain still? Still the brain sucking. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how we set up the first episode. The rest of the series, again, I want to be cautious about spoilers for our friends out there, but terrible things continue to happen to all of those involved. Uh, the family of the young boy, Jason Bateman's family, the cops, everyone involved in this thing, bad things happen. And then a group of people try to form together in a way to try and, and figure out what the fuck is going on, one, and two, how do we prevent all of these terrible things from continuing to happen or getting worse? So when we originally started doing research for this episode, we were like, hey, Stephen King has a large catalog of film and TV. You know, what have you seen? What do you watch? And I'm like, ah, nothing. I don't know. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but you've seen so many. What are your favorites? Yeah, I've seen a lot and I've read a lot. I, I'm a big fan of Stephen King and his work. I think for me, although I've read a lot of Stephen King, watched a lot of Stephen King movies, especially in my youth before scary things gave me severe anxiety. I think my favorite run of Stephen King's was in the 90s. At one point, ABC would annually do a Stephen King miniseries based on one of his works. And I'm just going to go off memory here on some of these. The Tommyknockers had Jimmy Smits in it. And like he found a weird meteor mm. like nearby town that could control the people in the town. Jesus. Uh, Tracy Lords was in it. It was a weird one. The Stand, uh, one of the many adaptations of The Stand. This one had Whoopi Goldberg. She was like the magical old woman who like organized the last survivors to go fight like a uh, redneck. It was a weird movie. <laughs> Wait, is this was this like the Donald Trump movie or something? No, no. It was like, no, the bad guy of that sh of that stand is called Randall Flagg. And he's just like a denim wearing redneck. And like, he's the bad guy. He's like the devil or some shit. Oh, like in uh, Watchmen. All the like redneck bad guys. Oh, yes. Yes. Rednecks are just they're they're good fodder. The Langoliers <laughs> had Balky from Perfect Strangers, and it was a weird movie where they were in a plane and then like everything stopped working because they were stuck in time. And then Wait. little Pac-Mans came to eat them. Balky uh, did a serious role? No, he's not serious at all. He's in a comedic role mm. while everyone else is trying to be serious. And there's like a magic blind girl who like knows that the evil Pac-Mans are coming to eat them. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, the Shining. So the original Shining that was directed by Stanley Kubrick, Stephen King notoriously didn't like because Kubrick made some changes. So they made an ABC version of it with Stephen Weber from Wings. He was like the cool brother from Wings. And they made a more novel accurate version with him. I really liked it. Then the other brother from Wings, Tim Daly, who also did Superman's voice in the animated series, he did Storm of the Century where they fight like a vampire during a blizzard. And that one's really good. Like, it's a lot of fun. All of these were crazy, crazy uh, adaptations. They all seem really weird. And you say The Shining and Storm of the Century were good. Were they all good? No, let me be clear. I don't know if any of them are good. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I really enjoyed them. <laughs> so like, you know, teenager uh, David here. I really enjoyed all of them. I don't know if they hold up at all. I don't know if they're actually you know, good. Uh, but I really enjoyed them <laughs> during that time frame. I think it, it was neat to have ABC knocking out miniseries like that. And they were pretty popular at the time. 
have they adapted your favorite Stephen King book? Ooh, I don't think so. So my favorite's probably Duma Key. Okay. Which is a weird Stephen King one because most of his novels take place in. Oh, in, a weird one. A weird one. That I he know wrote? that's a shocking one. Um, <laughs> so most of his stories take place in Maine, but Duma Key is about uh, a guy who's injured on a construction accident and has some functional brain issues. And so he moves down to Duma Key, like in Florida or the Caribbean or, or somewhere tropical. And he picks up painting as like a hobby to try and like regain his motor skills and stuff. And he accidentally draws like a witch who takes over the islands. I remember really enjoying it. I don't know if it holds up, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, I don't think they've made a, a film over it. Have you been to the Keys? I have not. I've avoided uh, the Duma Keys for that reason. Is there a real Duma Key? I, I can't confirm that, producer. Our producer saying this is loosely based on Phineas Gage, that Duma Key is. And I don't know if that's true or not, but our producer is more well-read than I. So we're going to take him at his word, gang. So Duma Key is not a real place, but the Keys are a real place. And if it's based on that kind of structure of land, it's a lot of places to haunt. Okay. And torture people if you're yeah. a witch. So that's what, yeah, she's like, he like draws her and then he draws like storms and the storms happen. I, again, my, I read it on an airplane sometime in the 90s. So he's like connected. Yes. He's like the, the, the conjurer of her somehow. Oh, this is too much. My imagination is running wild now. Well, yeah. And that's, you don't read a lot of horror, but do, you don't watch a lot of horror either. Like, you no. don't even have like favorite horror series. Well, all right. You made me dig this one up. I, so I want to defend it first. I think the reason why I can watch some scary things is if there's a really good balance of like humor or comedy okay. or, or tension breaking. Okay. And I think Stranger Things. Ooh. Mixed with the nostalgia does a really, really good job of balancing the scary. So it really makes you wash away like the fear and the anxiety that they build up. And they do a great job of doing that. But the kids and kind of the colors and the way it's done, it really cleanses your palate um, and, and gets you ready for more. So yeah, yeah, it's a good point. That's my favorite scary miniseries if you're making me pick a favorite i don't like to be scared at all i just want to be very clear does it help you watch it i know you're you're a lady who doesn't mind spoilers no can you watch a scary show if you've been spoiled because now it's not as scary you know it's coming i think that's the only way i was able to make it through the outsider the show is because i knew what was coming so my anxiety wasn't as high what about when you read it i don't i don't get scared by reading so it doesn't have the same impact for me well, then I don't I then I can't chalk it up to my anxiety for the reason why I can't handle scary. It's my imagination. And so I feel like when like I said, when I was reading Wheel of Time, that was much scarier to me because what my imagination makes out of the words is really bad. <laughs> OK, yeah, see, I'm not as clever. I can't think of of that. Shit. Like when I'm reading a book, the things that scare me are like, oh, I'm going to be late for a test. I overslept for work. Like, I didn't check my gas oven. That's hint. real life scary. Yeah, that's real that's life shit. Book so, <laughs> yeah, book scaries don't get me. So we know you went through a big phase of Stephen King miniseries, Scary Scaries. What about like non-Stephen King? Uh, yeah, I, I generally avoid them today. And miniseries are much more prevalent today for this type of stuff than they were when I could handle it. But so I will say, though, I did watch the... Uh, the BBC did a version of Dracula uh, uh, two or three years ago that was three parts. 
and Klaus Bang was Dracula and he was great. I will say about that show that it was scary, it was bloody, it was gory. The first episode of that series, fantastic. I thought that it was familiar. They kept enough respect for the original novel, or at least what we believe the original novel was. Uh, someone should do a podcast about that someday. I think that they kept enough of that to be respectful of the material and make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then they threw some surprises your way. The Van Helsing reveal is amazing. They did some really cool shit. Episode two was a little hit or miss for me. I liked what they did, but it didn't quite land. And then episode three, maybe one of the worst episodes of television I've ever seen. And it fucking ruined it for me. So, yeah, I was not happy about how Dracula ended. And then they were like, oh, there may be another another miniseries of this. And I'm like, no, I want to drive a stake through the whole goddamn show. Well, it was a, motiv a killing motivation. So yeah. if you drive a stake <laughs> through something and try to say you didn't do it, you just gave everybody evidence. Motive. <laughs> I, I love the first episode of that. But yeah, generally in horror, I try to I try to avoid. But I don't know, maybe I'll I'll take another pass at one of these other Stephen King ones. That may be an easier way to kind of dip my toes. Do you think it kind of brought you back to like being a kid or younger, a younger David? That's a good question. I think it did. I certainly read more when I was at that age. I would pile through, you know, a book every few days. I would do that thing where you would order like the 20 books free as long as you were were getting like four books a year from the publisher. And then what I would do is I would order the 20 books and then have my mom call up and tell them that a minor can't enter a contract so that they'd wipe off the four that I owed them. And we did that like five or six times. I'm not happy about it, but I got to read a lot. <laughs> and yeah, so I think and I would read again, I would read King, I would read Crichton, I would read Clancy, Patterson, even though he sucks. I would read everybody. When I was reading the Stephen King, it probably been a few years since the last Stephen King I read. Uh, so it was kind of nice to, to jump back in. So you read the book and you were going to watch one episode and you liked it so much. You kept going. What did you like about it? I did. Yeah, I didn't expect to keep going, but the pacing was great. Uh, it was a slow burn. Opening title sequence is fantastic, which is a weird thing to hype, but it was really neat. Weird liquids. <laughs> there, there was weird liquids. It was just it was cool. And the cinematography on this, Bateman and, and team did an amazing job. Everything looks fantastic. There's a scene towards the end of the series where there's like a, a theme park, uh, a carnival type setting. And it's at night. And just the way they light this thing is just it's fucking incredible. Like you watch this and you're like, I want to know what's happening here. So I think that kind of hooked me. So here's the thing. We talk about these shows. We talk about our pros. We talk about our cons. And I throw around words like. The cinematography is so great on this. <laughs> like, I know what I'm talking about. What exactly is cinematography? Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll stretch the film degree here. We'll dust it off. Um, I think the first <laughs> thing is that if you're looking at a film, a TV series, a movie, and you like the way it looks, you can say you enjoyed the cinematography. OK. We are not snobs here at It's Not TV. If you're <laughs> if you like what your eyes see. You can say you like the cinematography, but what cinematography generally describes to is it's really about the lighting and the camera. Um, so how are things lit? Where is the light coming from? How are characters lit? How is the background lit? Are things in shadow, right? Are things very clear? Are things hidden? Are colors popping in certain areas? Then the lenses we use, are things in focus? Are things not in focus? There's uh, a scene in this show on the stairs where one of our characters is in the foreground. And another character is across the room on a flight of stairs in the background. And both of them are in focus, even though they're far away from each other, because they're using this thing called a split diopter shot, 
which is a, a pretty fancy way to have two different focuses. So cinematography can really focus on how did you light the scene? What camera lenses you're using and how are you framing the shot? But you can get tricky with things, right? So you may say, oh, well, I love the way they framed those two characters facing each other. Well, that may have been about blocking and about the actors and the director talking about where they should be facing and maybe not as much on the cinematographer, mm -hmm. but it's a big <laughs> tent. If you like what you see on the screen, it counts as cinematography for us. Unless it's boobs. And then you can thank the actor for that. Thank you. Yeah, please thank both boobs individually and the actor. <laughs> and a lot of movie sets now have an intimacy uh, coordinator. I mean, this is true of a lot of HBO shows, things like Euphoria. I mean, some of these are requirements at HBO now where you have to have for any scene involving nudity or intimacy like kissing. You have to have an intimacy coordinator who works separate from the director and the producer and works exclusively with the actors to make sure that they're comfortable with what's going on in the scene. Because a lot of times, and this has been something that's been discussed recently about uh, Euphoria, is an actress or an actor, especially a younger actor or actress, may feel uncomfortable protesting to the director about a nudity in a scene or how comfortable they are in a scene. If it's their first big HBO show, they don't want to be the person that said no to the director. So now these shows have intimacy coordinators whose pure job is to be advocates for actors and actresses on set to make sure that they're only revealing what they want to reveal, that they have an outlet uh, for anything that makes them uncomfortable. It's, and HBO is one of the companies that's pioneering this and mandating it on a lot of their shows. I wonder if they had it for Sansa on Game of Thrones. A lot of the issues with Game of Thrones speak into this. Yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones, Euphoria, uh, The Deuce, I believe, had some problems as well. And Euphoria right now is going through this because one of the issues they're having with Euphoria is that there's a lot of nudity, especially for actresses and some male. What tends to happen for male nudity is you get to wear a fake penis, but females usually can wear a merkin, but they don't get any fake boobs or anything like that for the most part. So they're more exposed. Did you say a birkin? A merkin? Uh, so a, a merkin is fake pubic hair. Like a little sweater for your vagina? Yeah. I would bet you that 99 out of 100 times that you have seen an, uh, a leading actress naked in a show, she's probably wearing a merkin. And what it does is not only does it have fake pubic hair, but it has a little privacy section, like a sticker that goes down to cover the vagina. You actually, some women have said that they're more nude in bikinis than they are in a merkin. There you go. There's your merkin hot topic for the day. Did you say a sticker on your vagina? Yeah, it's like it's like a pasty like you would have for your nipples. It's like a pasty for your vagina. And then it has the pubic hair above it. Um, and it's for privacy so that although you're naked, you're actually not naked. You're not exposed at all. I always thought they just wore like nude flesh colored. Underwear. No, because of like... the hips. You need the hips clean. Yeah, so it's <laughs> they use Merkins. So. A great example of a Merkin, because she's actively talked about it, is Olivia Wilde in the show Vinyl. Uh, she wears a giant 70s bush Merkin, and she's talked about it frequently. So feel free to no. look it up. No. No. Don't Nobody look, up. look it up. Okay. She left Ted Lasso. She's dead to all oh, of us. Oh, the Merkin you're okay with, but not Olivia Wilde. Correct. Okay, so you can look up her Merkin, but do not look up Olivia Wilde. Where She left Ted Lasso? Like the she actor Jason him. Sudeikis? They have two children. Yeah. Okay. We're making a hard stance. Don't fuck over Ted Lasso. She's canceled. We are not okay with that. Yeah, she's canceled. She's done. Goodbye, Olivia Wilde. Any other pros for the show that you want to? 
Uh, there's no Merkin work <laughs> that I remember in this. Um, no, I th- again, I mentioned this earlier. I think the way they handle the supernatural elements are really done well here. But you liked it, too. I know you watch it through your hands, but you liked stuff from the show. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, the cinematography was excellent. I could piggyback <laughs> everything that you said. Um, I did watch this pr- like pre having a child. Mm. The child death stuff. I don't do so well now. Yeah, yeah. That being said, I feel really drawn to the storyline. And at the time, like I was so eager to know, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I wanted to know. And that's like a telltale, like I mentioned earlier, to why you would continue watching, because I don't want to be scared. I don't get the thrill from being scared. But when the storyline is compelling, when you care about the characters, that's when you bring out the fingers, you place them across the face, and you ask someone <laughs> you're watching it with when what it's happened? over. Yeah. So to that point, I think one of the cool things about this one, which I haven't done in a long time for a new series, there's some series that I'm actively engaged in. But this was one of those where like at lunch, we were like, quick, let's throw on an episode. Like, let's try to, we want to get further ahead because you, you want to see what happens. You want it to your point, Nicole, you want to know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Was there anything, though, besides it being a little scary, anything else that, that you would say negative that, that you thought was, was holding you back a bit? Nah, I just like my life of naivety. Yeah. I don't like yeah. to be scared. Did you dislike anything about the show? I didn't. I thought they, again, I thought they did a great job. I would say, though, I went in knowing there are supernatural elements. I don't know that if it's that clear from like the trailers or if you're going in fresh, I would say if you're going in expecting it to be like a police procedural, like if you're going, oh, a lot of these writers are from the night of. I, I think you may get caught off guard and be disappointed that it it has supernatural elements. But again, go in knowing that and you'll be fine. You know, with that in mind, I think this show kind of reminded me of like Law and Order with supernatural elements or like I think a great analog is like the X-Files. Like if you took one episode of X-Files and kind of drew it out and gave a lot more character development to it. I think this would be kind of like similar to something like that. Like Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> I, I want to say no, but I, f- I feel like you're onto something there. I do feel like it's very something creepy has happened and a bunch of people need to solve it. And that pretty much is every episode of Supernatural in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So <laughs> I I desperately want to say no, but I think... If you if you enjoy Supernatural or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or like Charmed, those shows that have those supernatural elements of a team trying to beat something or figure something out and you want it like elevated. Yeah, a little adult. Right? Like those those are like the cheeseburgers. But if you want like a steak, like <laughs> this would be the show. Is that about right? The vibe I'm getting from the show? Is that what you got too? Yeah. I mean, I just might say like it's kind of like Jeepers Creepers in the sense that it's like a supernatural I'm yeah just gonna no. say like a legend a legend no uh fuck that guy though uh the jeepers creeper guy the director victor salva was like convicted of child molestation and child pornography uh, after his first film and somehow is still making movies yeah somehow still making movies so i i don't maybe there's a circumstances we don't know about but uh i'll if we're gonna say fuck olivia wilde for leaving ted lasso i think victor salva who was convicted of of child pornography and child molestation for Jeeper Creepers. He can go fuck himself, too. Yeah, get all of his stuff from Napster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go watch all of his movies for free. Uh, we, we advocate that. So should they watch it, David? I think this answer is obvious, but should they watch it? Yeah, you should watch it. So again, I, I want to caveat it for our audience. Your tastes may be different than mine. 
it's a little creepy. It's got some creepy elements in it, but I think it's pretty satisfying. I think they handle the murder really well in the beginning. It's a little more graphic in the book. And if you like murder mysteries, if you want to get hooked on something. And I also think that this is a great Stephen King introduction. I think if you're not someone who's read Stephen King. After you watch this, you might be interested in it. I know my wife who watched this with me after we watched it, she said, should I uh, should I read this Stephen King book? No, and I, will I made some suggestions. No, is that going to happen? I will not read this book. No. It's good. You know what's going to happen, though. It's okay. Can't and be plus, spoiled. you just said it's more graphic. I don't want to read more graphically about a child being murdered. It's harder to not be more graphic because you can see like a flash of it in the show. And you're like, got it. Murdered kid. When it's in a book, you have to describe it. So it's you can't just flash it real quick on the screen. You have to say mm-hmm. what you're flashing. So the prose kind of makes it more graphic. Mm hmm. But I would say if you like Stephen King, you should definitely watch this show. Um, if you like murder mysteries, if you like supernatural mysteries, this is a good one. Everyone yeah. acts great. You're recommending this too, right? Yeah, it's well made. Well acted. Compelling. You don't mind being scared and your imagination manifesting elements into your real life. <laughs> sure. Yeah, watch it. Sure. So let me ask you this, because I didn't know about this until after I watched it and I thought it was complete. We talked about Stephen King does have scripts uh, that the writers put together. Would you like to see a season two of this show where they investigate another issue or another mystery? Oh, yeah. No, if it was a completely different story, it would just depend on the players. Yeah. But so I think I'm in that boat where I would like to see this cast investigate more shit. Like I'd like to see them handle the next murder or mystery or whatever again so audience Stephen were dancing King should start writing like a series with james patterson all using these same detective players and they just oh, continually investigate stuff yeah a, a surefire way to get me uninterested in something is telling me that james <laughs> patterson's involved <laughs> yeah r is for ricochet s is for sucks uh, james patterson <laughs> so audience we recommend this show if you're not into spoopy things you you may want to get a pass but if you like mysteries if you like murder mysteries if you like supernatural if you like stephen king this is a good one 10 episodes all very solid it's a good burn watch it watcher thank you david thank you nicole i appreciate you so committed to our podcast that you read over 500 pages and watched an entire series and i couldn't even watch three episodes of deadwood for you no that's okay well you also created life um, and I haven't done that yet. So the least I could do is read a paperback novel. I think that makes us even now. While giving birth out of your butthole. Yeah, out of my butthole. Yeah, it was a 12 pound baby. <laughs> I think you and I have equal contributions to society now. <laughs> totally equal. As always, thank you very much, Nicole. Uh, next week, you should bring your hazmat suits because we're headed to Chernobyl. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Brewit Media. Brew it.